Well, again, a warm welcome to you this morning at Kingswood, uh, where we seek to love God, serve others, and build sacred community as followers of Jesus. We're so glad you're here this morning on this beautiful Advent Sunday. Uh, it's a winter day here in uh, Chicagoland, but we're warmed by being connected together online. So welcome. We're in the midst of celebrating the season of Advent. And as I said earlier in the service, I just want to share a little bit more about Advent. Advent is an ancient series of days that happened in the early church. Advent is an ancient word that means coming and is sometimes connected to preparing. Advent, like its sister season Lent, are seasons of reflection, repentance, which means changing our lives, um, confession, forgiveness, and preparing. Over the next four weeks, we'll be in a season of Advent. And we hope that you've had an Advent wreath at home. If you don't have one, it's easy to make. You don't need special candles, just four candles and some greenery if you have it. You can make your own Advent wreath and you can light each Sunday and then light for that week the particular candle. Today you see we've lit the first candle, as we said earlier in the service, the candle of hope. And every week following we will do the candle of love, the candle of joy, and finally the candle of peace. This wreath is just a symbol for us of God progressing in our lives, calling us along the journey to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, both in His birth and in His second coming and the reign of His kingdom. As I said earlier, the colors are often purple, which is our sign of royalty and penitence. Sometimes the colors are blue, which are a sign of Mary and a sign of reflection. Later, as you witness, there'll be other things added in worship, like our Christmas tree and poinsettias, and other things which will be a symbol of Christ's presence. I would pray that this is a wonderful season of Advent. So today, I, I, I want to begin by talking about that we're focusing on a Christmas carol. Uh, Christmas is past, and Christmas is present, and Christmas future. But before we get into those particular three parts of the journey, Let's talk about the story, A Christmas Carol. Written by Charles Dickens in 1843, it was one of his first writings. It's a little novel, sometimes called a novella, uh, written by him uh, as a sign of combating the greed and the disregard for the poor and the kind of just really negative spirit of the day. That might be a, a helpful word for us even today. Dickens was a person of faith and a follower of Jesus, though he had great criticism for the Church of England. In fact, when the book came out, several leaders in the Anglican Church were critical of him for being so hard, implying that the Church had not cared for the poor. But Dickens believed Christ was a sign of deep compassion and that Jesus would always be among those who were in need. He challenged the status quo, he challenged the consumerism of his day in writing this book. We, we, inter, we were introduced to a man named Ebenezer Scrooge. And you, you know the story probably fairly well. You've read it, you've heard it, uh, you've seen it in Cartoon Network kind of ways, you've seen it in movies, and rewritten in various and sundry ways. The Christmas Carol begins with uh, Ebenezer Scrooge being one of the most difficult and hateful men you've ever known. Uh, Scrooge, in fact, has now become a noun in Webster's Dictionary for those who are miserly and have a disregard for others, who are just awful people. 
Scrooge is confronted by his old business partner, Jacob Marley, who's been dead for seven years. And through that encounter with the ghost of Jacob Marley, Scrooge is challenged to change his life and change his heart and prepare his heart for the coming of Jesus and to celebrate life and love and the compassion for other people. There's some critical characters which we'll talk about over the next weeks. One is Jacob Marley, his former business partner, who is very clear that his opportunity has passed. But dragging chains late in the night on Christmas Eve, he pleads with his former business partner, Ebenezer Scrooge, change your life. We'll meet the Cratchit family, Bob Cratchit and his family, Tiny Tim, who eventually will steal Scrooge's heart. We'll meet his nephew, Fred, and their whole family, continually inviting him to Christmas, though Scrooge refuses. We'll meet two kind of portly gentlemen who invite him to give to alms and, and support for the poor, but he'll refuse. All of that will be a great challenge to Scrooge. In addition, we'll meet the ghosts of Christmas past, pleading with him to look at his past when he had some joy and even his pain as a child. We'll see Christmas present that helps him to see the struggle of the Cratchit family, Fred's intention to continue to invite him into the hope and joy of Christmas and the needs of the poor and those that have forgotten. And then we'll see the Christmas ghost of the future who will show him the darkness and brokenness of his own life if he doesn't change. It's a powerful story. Dickens wrote it intentionally with stanzas to represent the singing of a carol. I think a lot about Christmas carols and Advent carols. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus by John Wesley, or Charles Wesley. Uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing by Charles Wesley. A Joy to the World, A Silent Night. Those carols that mean so much to us because they speak into the brokenness of the world. They speak into the miserliness of our own hearts. And they speak to us in the words of Jesus, change your ways, prepare your way for the coming of Christ. Today we've heard two very challenging readings, which are traditional scripture readings in the season of Advent. We're quick to move to Christmas cards and Christmas trees and cinnamon bread and all those things that are a part of our holiday experience. But Advent is also a time of challenge. In fact, Advent is a season of confrontation. Listen to these words from Isaiah. If only you would tear open the heavens and come down. Mountains would quake before you like fire igniting brush or making water boil. If you would make known your name to your enemies, your nations would tremble in your presence. Isaiah is facing a people that know the temple has been destroyed, that are in the midst of exile in Babylon. And they have sinned and turned away from God. They have forgotten the poor. They have forgotten folks in need. They have forgotten God. And God calls them back in this amazing passage from Isaiah to indeed see the potential. And it's a really hard confrontation, much like the way Jacob Marley confronts Scrooge early on that Christmas Eve. But now, Lord, you are our father, Isaiah says. We are the clay and you are the potter. All of us are the work of your hand. Don't be so angry at us, O God. Don't hold our sins before us forever, but gaze now on your people with mercy. I love the final words of Isaiah 64. They're hard words, but they're important words, and I encourage you to read the whole passage today. Advent does not start with little Christmas carols and reindeer and Santa. 
Advent begins by confronting our sin, our brokenness, our disregard for the poor, our inability to be compassionate toward others. Advent speaks into our hearts and invites us to repent and to change our lives. We don't begin with Mary and Joseph in the Gospels either. We begin with words about John the Baptist. You may remember him, the cousin to Jesus, born to Elizabeth and Zechariah. You may know that John took a role that was very interesting, that reflected the Old Testament prophet or Hebrew scripture prophet Elijah. Remember Elijah lived in caves and in the wilderness. He wore strange clothes and a hairy mantle. In many ways, John the Baptist does the same. The Gospel of Mark is perfect for the season of Advent. It doesn't begin with a birth story or the coming of the wise men or angels and shepherds. Mark begins immediately with these words. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son. He begins by expressing good news. This this Greek word for good news is the same word the Roman Empire used to announce a victory in battle or the coronation of a new king. Good news has come, Mark says in the Gospel, at the very first verse. And it happened just as it was written. And then he quotes the prophet Isaiah from a different place, Isaiah 40. Look, I am sending my messenger before you. My messenger will prepare your way. He will be a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Do you see that already Mark is connecting this Elijah prophet of Old Testament and these words from Isaiah 40 with the current prophet John the Baptist. He is preparing the way. He is not the chosen, but he is calling our hearts, our very selves, to prepare for the coming of Christ. John was in the wilderness calling the people to be baptized, to show repentance or the changing of their hearts. That word is metanoian in Greek, and it basically means headed one direction and being called to change into a completely different direction. It's more than confessing sin. It's more than admitting to God our brokenness. It's more than revealing the secrets of our shadows and pain. It's about embracing a new life. That's how Advent begins. Change your hearts and lives and seek God's forgiveness for your sins. Everyone in all of Judea and all the people of the capital city, Jerusalem, went out to the Jordan River and they were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. Can you imagine it? There's a strange man in the wilderness at the Jordan River baptizing people from the city, baptizing people from the region, and calling them to forgiveness, to repentance, and to transformation. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts, that's insects, and wild honey, all symbolic of connecting him to the prophet Elijah. Many people believed that when Elijah returned, so would the Messiah. He announced, one stronger than I is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but the one who will come will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is not found in Christmas cards very often, and many times we don't include John the Baptist in our nativity scenes and our Christmas decorations, and we certainly don't say, Merry Christmas, repent of your sin, right? But the season of Advent begins with a close examination of our lives. 
much like Ebenezer Scrooge being called by his former partner who comes from the chains of death and brokenness and darkness and says to his friend, you have the opportunity to change your life. But Scrooge's response initially is bah humbug, right? And in some ways we laugh, that word has become connected to negativity and a disregard for the holidays and who cares and who certainly cares about those on the margins. Bah humbug we call either from our hearts or on our lips. But John the Baptist calls us to prepare for Jesus. John the Baptist calls us to do away with the bah humbug attitude and to see the holidays not as a time of buying all the gifts on Amazon we can, but how can we serve others? How can we be attuned to those on the edges? How can we stand with the folks who are forgotten, rejected, hurt, left out, oppressed? That's what this season is about. John the Baptist calls us to prepare the way. Jacob Marley says to Ebenezer Scrooge, prepare the way. And over the next weeks together, we will see the stories of Scripture connect with this beautiful story from Charles Dickens about Christmas past, Christmas present, and a Christmas future that despite COVID-19 and all the things that we're facing in our world today, Christmas future, a future with hope and peace. I don't know, for those of you who live locally and watch our, our show, our, our show, our worship, um, it's so fascinating that just north of here, a major corridor named Lake Cook is being prepared. It's been too narrow and there's been a bottleneck of traffic and so finally the county and the city and all of the people involved have decided to widen the road quite a bit. It's been interesting to me watching that process which is still happening, uh, things being torn down, uh, things being graded, dirt being moved, all much like this whole concept of John the Baptist of preparing the way. In fact, Isaiah himself, when he talks about this highway, is a highway that would be prepared from Babylon to Jerusalem, a smooth and straight highway that was safe to bring the exiles back. John the Baptist has that in his mind when he tells us to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. Lake Cook is still a mess, but yesterday as I went to Target, there's a section that's complete. It's beautiful. It's flat and it's concrete. The curb is gorgeous. They're putting in the new traffic light. They're putting in the new street lights. It is so different than what I had encountered before. In many ways, that's what John the Baptist is saying to you and to me in this season of Advent. Don't jump quickly to your cookies and cocoa. Don't jump quickly to your tree decorating in your wreaths. James, don't jump too quickly to singing joy to the world until you've prepared your heart, till you've prepared the way, till you've cleared out the mess and graded away the sin and admitted the brokenness and done away with the negativity and begun to see the potential for serving others and serving the poor. Ebenezer Scrooge was challenged that Christmas Eve by the hard and very frightening witness of his friend Jacob Marley. May that same witness of John the Baptist speak into our hearts as we live in the shadow of this light, the candle of hope. So I invite you over the next week, if you can find the story, A Christmas Carol, for you to read it. 
I invite you to look at the passages this week and light your Advent wreath. But I invite you this week, prepare your heart, prepare yourself to repent and be redeemed and to open yourself to the highway of Christ to prepare your way for the coming of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen.